morning. Oh, that mic's hot this morning. Good to have you all here this morning. Join in and worship and sing and uh, feel free to share your prayer requests and your uh, testimonies in between the songs. start with uh, this one. Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. I think we all know this one. Feel free to stand if you'd like to.
Is he alive in your heart this morning? You know what that means if he is alive? That means he has conquered the grave. That means he has defeated Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. And the only victories, if you will, that he has are ones that we allow him to have. He has no power over your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's live in that power and that life. Anyone have anything to share? That message goes on in this next song. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace. Jesus, only Jesus. For you this morning? Well, there's two people that it's enough for. Well, hopefully by the end of the service it'll be enough for the rest of you too. Our response to those trials will tell us pretty quickly if Jesus, only Jesus, is enough. How great the 
if that's not your testimony this morning, that he hasn't set you free, he's not that living hope in your life, he can be, and it's really easy. You can come to him, and you know what he says? You can come. He wants you to come broken. Don't come all put together what you have to offer. You know, it's it's totally the opposite of how we approach life. If you want to start a new job or anything like that, you, you have to prove your qualifications before you can become a part of this business. If you are trying to buy a house or a car and you're making a loan, you have to prove your qualifications to be able to do this. When you come to Jesus, it's totally opposite. He says, come broken, come as you are, come empty, and I'll do that work.
blessed as I am. All right, thank you for joining in our worship time. I think we have a children's lesson by Jordan, who is here this morning. Come on up, kids. Jordan's got something for you. <laughs> no, no, no. Keep on dreaming. <laughs> I keep the. I'll turn the speakers up louder next time so you don't hear me. All right, so let's see how many. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Can you remember that? There's ten of you. Oh, awesome. We got another one. There's eleven. All right, so. I'm going to need all of you to do something for me. You're all going to be my sheep this morning. Yeah, you're going to be my sheep, and I'm going to be the cowboy taking you around a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like being a cowboy more than a shepherd this morning, so I, since I'm making this story up, i got to be the cowboy, right? <laughs> I have to be a shepherd? Well, okay. Maybe, maybe I'll just have to be a shepherd. Are we losing one of our number? Nope. Okay, so we still got him. All right, so let's just pretend this here is our pen where all the sheep are safe. But <laughs> during the daytime, the sheep get hungry. So what, are the, what, are, what does the shepherd have to do with the sheep? Feed them. Yeah, so... This shepherd's going to take all the sheep out. So all of you follow me, and we're going to go get some food. <laughs> so we're going to go find some pasture. <laughs> all right, so there's some grass here, and then, like, so the shepherd takes care of the sheep all day. And then when it gets nighttime, we go back over. Yeah, it gets headbutted a few times by the... <laughs> So, let's see, how many of us are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I thought there was eleven. One of the sheep ran away. Where did he run away? I'm going to have to go find this sheep. Did he? Where did the sheep run away to? Not up here. Where did the sheep go? I found my lost sheep. <laughs> Everybody got my sheep back. <laughs> now, in life, who do you think that the shepherd is? God. Yeah. And God takes care of us, and he leads us, and he protects us. And he'll lead us out to where we have food. But then sometimes, I know that myself, I've done it before, to where when everybody, you know, God takes us out, all of a sudden I'm just like, I'm going to go run off. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to get lost. And, you know, there's also wolves out there, the enemy that wants to come and attack us, and he wants to take away our joy and our peace, and he wants only bad stuff for us. But... 
Jesus doesn't just let us go run away, and he doesn't just leave us there when we decide to do our own thing. He comes and finds us, and he rescues us and brings us back to him. And it's awesome because it's everybody gets to rejoice when we find that one lost sheep, when that one person comes back to Jesus. I was that one person that came back to Jesus. And I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't just leave us out there because I wasn't being a really good person and doing everything right to where Jesus came and found me. I was, I was living in sin, but Jesus still came and found me, and he rescued me. And now, just like Benny, I'm back with the rest of the sheep. And, like, it's so much, there's, it's so much, there's so much more peace when I'm with Jesus and when I'm living for him and not living for myself. So that's all that I have for this morning. Thanks, Jordan. Great lesson. All right, uh, a few announcements, um, which I think is pretty much the regular announcements for this morning. Lunch following the service, please stay and enjoy that with us. Saturday morning prayer, 7 a.m. here. Youth retreat. I'm still waiting on some uh, applications from uh, a number of people here. Actually, a lot of people. I could point a lot of fingers. All right. Noah has his in, and Derek. All right. Thank you, guys. You're good examples. Uh, get your registrations in and pass the word around, and uh, let's get a bunch of uh, young people and a lot of energy here for August the 9th through the 13th. Um, we have the box in the back there. If the Lord has asked you to give, please do that. You can also do that online. And uh, what else do we got? I think that's about it for the announcements. Oh, birthdays. We've had some birthdays. Let me see if I can turn this back on. Well, why isn't it changing? Hello, hello. It doesn't want to change inputs. There we go. Happy birthday to you. I wonder who the you is today. Whoa, Sherry, she had a birthday yesterday. Oh, there's another birthday coming up tomorrow. Benny, Sarah, Isaiah, Maggie, Ty, well, we got a bunch of birthdays this month. All right, let's sing happy birthday. Let's sing happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, God bless you, happy birthday to you. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Phil.
this morning as we were singing those songs. The Lord reminded me of his word. In John chapter 10, Jesus was speaking to Martha after Lazarus had died, her brother. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Even when we die physically, Lazarus wasn't dead. And what did Jesus do to prove that? What did he end up doing after this? Someone tell me? He left him dead and buried? No, what did he do? He raised him from the dead. He brought him right back into his physical body. Wasn't hard for Jesus to do that. Why? Because he wasn't really dead. His body died, but Lazarus was still alive. And so he just said, Lazarus, come on out of the grave. And he came. And Jesus said this to each one of us so that we wouldn't live in this world without hope. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And then he says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also. Nothing. You can believe it all you want to, changes nothing in your life if Christ has not been raised. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses. We're liars of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised, you might as well go home. You're still in your sins. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ or died, they have perished. Just like a dead dog. He is no more. 
Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ is raised from the dead. Amen? And we can all sit here and come here this morning singing these songs in faith because Christ is alive. He has been raised from the dead. And our preaching is not in vain. It does something. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirits that have been made alive in Him. And the songs we sing, they're not a lie. They're true. Yes, every promise of God is yea and amen. That's what the scripture says. And that word amen means, in the Greek it actually means, as they sign the letters, sincerely yours or truly yours. They used to sign letters in the old letter and writing times. We don't do that anymore so much. We just, you know, text people. And I mean, how many of you guys are writing letters to each other? You write letters, Sherry. Good for you. That's awesome. I want to tell you a little secret. When Katie and I were courting, way back in the 1900s, as the boys usually say, there were no cell phones to text. Nobody had ever even heard of the word texting. There wasn't anything like that. So guess what we did? We wrote letters to each other. Every week, we would exchange letters on a Wednesday night at church. And sometimes, our letters were like 10, 12 pages. Because we didn't get to talk much throughout the week, or even Sundays for that matter. We were just young, and our parents were careful about how much we talked. They wanted us to take, let our love grow slowly. It grew through letters. To this day, we still have all those letters. I don't know how many pages, but we did that for a year and a half, so you count them. Every week, 10 or 12 pages, both sides. For We have a whole chest full of them, don't we, somewhere. Christ is not dead, and he's given us his love letter. Pages and pages and pages of it, because he's alive. He's preserved this for you and me so you and I can read of his love for us every day. And the more we read, the more we write, the stronger our love because the more we're communicating with each other. And that's what the scriptures are intended to do. Increase our love for him every day. So if you're sitting here and you sing the songs and you want to be pitied. You should meet Jesus again. Come to him like we sang and let him give you his love letter that's alive because he's alive and he's writing this to you today so you get to know what he's thinking and the purposes he has for your life and how much he loves you. That's my little sermonette. I'm going to give it over to Brother John. Some of you may remember Brother John Olive. Uh, John, you can come on up. He, uh, dear friend of mine that we've known each other for many, many years, over 20 years. And uh, 
I've asked him to come and share the word with us about once a quarter here in the church. He's a gifted brother who is uh, a heart for God's people and loves the Lord Jesus and studies his word. And um, we're blessed to have you come and share with us. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we lift up our dear brother John, and I pray that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit. Baptize him with the Holy Spirit and fire this morning as he stands before your people and opens up your love letter to us. All I pray, fill his heart with your love and each one of us as we read again your living word. Give us that life-giving spirit of the resurrection so that we'd quit pitying ourselves and no one else in the world pities us either because our Jesus is alive and you have made us alive in you this morning. Bless our dear brother with that life-giving spirit as he shares your living word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, housekeeping matters. Microphone is on. Yes, no. Got it? Okay, okay, good. Uh, All right, well, open up your Bibles to... Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll read a little bit. Most of what I'm going to be sharing today is, is extremely personal, so, um, but it has a context. It's a message that could be construed as sort of targeting young men, um, but I think it will have broad applicability to uh, parents and anyone who's who's married or, or contemplating marriage. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at uh, verse 25, if we would. We'll start there. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water, by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So um, we're going to be talking about loving, loving our wives uh, Kind of the the topic the the me- the title of the message actually I'll get to later but it's care for a hurting heart care for a hurting heart now I've I've been married 39 years and and really this this sermon I'm giving this morning flows out of that whole time period and uh, and and it's a reflection of uh, what I feel like were a lot of um, inadequacy in my, especially early in my marriage, in my 20s and 30s, that um, I, I wasn't uh, mature enough to really be the spiritual leader of my family as I, as I needed to be. Um, I would, if I had to grade myself, I would say probably overall a C plus or B minus. And for a high achiever who uh, excels academically, that doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. But so um, my my failures and my mistakes 
have often been the tools that God has given me to um, prepare messages for others. And so um, if you can avoid some of the mistakes I made as a young man, I, I hope that, uh, that you will um, have, have better success, especially early in those uh, first couple of decades, than, uh, than I did. Um, I'm, I'm not alone in this. It, it, it's, it, as we're going to talk about, there's a positive plague of irresponsibility and immaturity, oh, really, worldwide. I mean, I, but, but even in the Christian church, there's a lot of immaturity in young men. And, um, and, and in contrast, women teams, uh, definitely tend to mature faster than guys do. And so there's, you know, from the outset, kind of an imbalance where the, the woman is more mature emotionally than the man is, and yet he's in, he's, he's in authority over her, which causes a lot of conflicts and headbutting. And, and so guys, you know, just understand that this is how it's going to be, and, and it's your job to really focus hard on getting prepared and, and addressing those, those immature Thoughts, irresponsibility, the you know the mentality that says hold my beer, watch this. Uh, you know, there. Uh, I'm going to share some stuff, um, and and so I'm I'm you know I'm 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 helping you as a young man not wind up giving this sermon when you're 60. Okay, <laughs> you don't want to have to do that. Um, a 2013 study in the in the UK found that. Males reach full emotional maturity at age 43. Women at age 32. It's still pretty late, but they're about 10 years ahead of men on average. And there's many studies that I researched that, that share these similar results. So, so the women are more mature out of the gate, and they mature faster than guys do emotionally. And so that's what sets up this, this conflict. This is particularly troubling when we think about uh, Titus chapter 2, where, where, where Paul tells Titus that young men are to be sober-minded. That is the, like, the complete opposite of what you know, every adolescent male is. He's, he's not sober-minded. And it's, it's, like, it's like, wow, that's, a, that's kind of a scary thought. Um, and Titus was supposed to be an example of, of, uh, of dignity and beyond reproach. And we think of that, you know, for guys like me, not for guys when they're, when they're young. But that is, is, uh, is how we get more healthy marriages, is by having guys who are more mature. Immaturity of males causes them to have a lot more traffic accidents, and they die three times more likely in during a traffic accident than a female. Higher speed, no seatbelts, you name it. But... Um, so there's all kinds of studies that, that you know, this is not just a, a fluke. This is, this is a real deal. And I think there's a reason why females mature faster than males. I think that's a God-given ability. And as I was thinking about this, you see, they are the life bearers. They are, they are devoted uh, physically and emotionally in every other way to to raise our next generation. And so they have to be more sacrificial and, and think differently about, about life than, than guys do from the very beginning because 
the future of our of our civilizations in their hands. They are the ones who were who were doing all the the hard lifting, heavy lifting uh, for our next generation. Um, I, I I did some research about about pregnancy because I didn't really understand it that well, you know. <laughs> um, but listen, just listen to some of the stuff that I that I found here. The female body experiences significant changes in many areas during pregnancy. She she will often lose balance. Her posture is affected. She has hormonal changes which can lead to mood swings and depression. She gains 20 to 30 pounds. She increases her strain on her heart and lungs. She has decreased aerobic conditioning. She has relaxed ligaments, which often lead to pelvic pain. She has changes to the nervous system, sometimes leading to carpal tunnel. Uh, it's common to experience morning sickness, depression, constipation, leg cramps, heartburn, hemorrhoids, varicose veins, fatigue, dizziness, and back pain, to name a few. She will risk her life during pregnancy to bring the next generation into the world. She has to have a different level of maturity to embrace that. Or to think about it from the other direction, there's a really good rent in men <laughs> don't have babies because we, our species probably would have died out a long time ago. <laughs> we just, we're not built for that. So, so women are designed emotionally and physically to, to think differently and to serve and, and, and sacrifice in a way that, that men really can't relate to um, unless God gives us a, a deep understanding and we really seek him on this. Uh, so men, especially young men, are we have a lot in common with a guy in the Bible named Esau. Okay? Um, <laughs> I'm sad to say that, but, but we kind of live for our appetites. Many of us, and you know, and let's let's you know, food and sex probably being at the top of the list. Let's talk about food. Okay, so so what is the adage that people say all the time about the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? All right, so that's true. I mean, you wanna you wanna please a guy, you you feed him something really delicious, like Esau, you know, with the with that red mess of stew that he ate, the uh, mess of pottage, I believe the King James calls it. Uh, so we, we think about taste. Does it taste good? If it tastes good, I want to eat it. I like potato chips. I like anything salt, fat, sugar, whatever, okay? But women, not that they don't like that too, but they are far more likely to be thinking long-term about things like nutrition. Okay. You know, is this food good for you? Broccoli and Brussels sprouts and it's got vitamins and it's got fiber and all this kind of stuff and it's like what? But but they are right. We should be thinking about those things. Our bodies are machines. They need to be they need to be fed and and given good stuff. So there's there's so many things that that women tell us guys that that we don't want to listen to because it's not fun and. <laughs> You know, and, and I wish that we could just, you know, be carefree and do fun things all the time. But the fact is, especially if we are, you know, thinking about marriage or intermarriage, 
we, we have to realize that things have changed for us, that there is, a, there is a, a level of maturity. We've got to answer the bell. I mean, there are some things that we really have to start thinking differently about. And your wife is likely to be a lot more in tune with what is, what is right and correct than you are as a young man. And that, you're not going to like that. But she's right almost all the time about these things. And, and so you've got to realize that, that, that you are, unfortunately, the weak link <laughs> early, in that, early in those days of marriage. You're, you're, the, you're the weak partner. You're not as mature as she, you're, as she is. You're not thinking straight like she is about a lot of things. And, uh, and, and you just want to, you know, be carefree. So eat right, exercise, stay healthy physically. And, uh, and, and, and think about um, your responsibilities as a, as, a, as a husband and as a father. And don't be stupid. So 1991, I'm 28 years old. I mean, I'm way too old to be doing this kind of nonsense. But I had a, I had a, a new rifle I ordered from the Remington Custom Shop. And it was supposed to be in like in the summer. And it was running late. And I didn't get it uh, until, until it was like October, maybe. And so all of the other uh, big game seasons were closed. The only one left open was a whitetail season up in the Black Hills in, uh, around Gillette in Wyoming. And, um, and I wanted to take that rifle out and go hunting with it that year. So I went off on this lark to go shoot a whitetail up in the Black Hills. And <laughs> I wound up on an absolutely deserted uh, road in the National Forest, three feet of snow, zero degrees outside, and I slipped off the road into a ditch. I was by myself. I had, you know, I'm not even sure we had cell phones. I don't think we had cell phones. We had nothing. I, I was like, and reality began to dawn on me. It's like, you are really doing something that is incredibly stupid. You know, this, this is something that people on your caseload would be doing. You know, I'm a probation officer. I'm not supposed to be doing stuff like that. They are, right? I'm the one out here in the middle of nowhere. And in about five minutes, uh, this, this big Ford pickup truck with about three guys in it came running down the road with a tow strap, and they pulled me out. And you know what I did then? I finally did something smart. I turned around and drove back to Cheyenne as fast as I could go. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, that, that was so unbelievably irresponsible, stupid, dumb. Any adjective you could think of would fit just fine for that. And I was 28. Women don't do things like that. Okay? <laughs> they just don't. Because they're thinking... Well, I, you know, I got the kids, and I got my husband, and I got these, you know, responsibilities, and I can't be. Do so, all right, listen to this. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, there is a if you are a major sports star, okay, and you're you're playing, uh, you know, professional baseball or football or whatever, you're probably going to have something in your contract that's called a hazardous activity clause. Anybody ever heard of that? All right. And, and I read one on the way down here this morning. It says, prohibits any athlete from engaging 
in any sport or activity that a reasonable person would recognize as involving or exposing the participant to a substantial risk of bodily injury. For example, motorcycling, auto racing, skydiving. Okay? So, now, you're not a professional athlete, young man. You actually have something way more invaluable that you're trying to protect than that. And that is your ability to provide for your wife and your children. And so, when you think about doing something dumb like going deer hunting in late winter, uh, think about, would this fit under the hazardous activity clause? And if it does, you might really seriously consider whether you ought to do that or not. Um, I, I wish I had thought of that. So, women, make sure your guy in his, in his prenuptial, he's got a hazardous activity clause in there, you know? <laughs> Protect your investment. Um, all right, so now, now young men admire their physical, physical strength. Anybody, any guys in here are going to admit that they've, like, shown off for their friends on how many curls they could do or uh, probably, you're not going to raise your hand, but you know who you are. You know who you are. I did too. But, okay, here's something you've got to realize. You're 19, 20, and somewhere around in there, realize that in about 20 to 25 years, you are not going to be able to do what you're doing right now. Your, your, your body is not going to hold up to that. It won't. And it's a, it's a shocking day when it's like you get out of bed and you're stiff and sore and, and, uh, or you do something that you used to do with no problem and all of a sudden you pull a muscle, uh, you, get a, you get a neck injury, whatever. Um, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, 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 now what do I do, okay? Because if you depend upon your physical body to make a living, and, and I know a lot of you do, realize that at some point, that's not going to work out so well for you. You're going to be a laggard and left behind, or you're going to get hurt and not be able to, to work like that. So while you're young... Start planning ahead. Start thinking about, okay, I'm, I, I've got to realize that there's a biological clock ticking and, and I, my body's going to wear out. I need to start thinking about how do I become like maybe the owner or a supervisor or something to where I'm not doing the heavy lifting if I want to stay in this career field. Or thinking about change career fields. Think about doing something where you can uh, not have to work physically to be able to, to earn a living for your family if that is something that appeals to you. If you want to go to college, get a degree, or whatever you want to do. But just realize that in, in two or three decades, you are not going to be able to do what you're doing right now. And, and you gotta, you got to think about that and plan for that. Now, if you're, if you're single, you know, well, um, you can probably get in a nursing home or something. I don't know. Uh, but, but if you're married, you've got responsibilities you've got to think about. You've got a wife to take care of. You've got children to care of. How are you going to do that? What if you get hurt? Now, I know that that is just like, I'm not going to get hurt. You know, it's like, not me. It'll be the other guy. It's like, there's drunk drivers out there. There are uh, fluke, I, you know, Mike Wheeler, who used to attend church here. I mean, he was in a ditch, digging a ditch, and the whole thing collapsed on him and, and, and crushed his legs. You know, I mean, things like that happen to people. 
And, and what if that happened to me? What would happen to my, my family? And so, you know, think about that and, and plan for these things because they can happen to you. You are not bulletproof. You are not Teflon Don, as much as you want to believe that. Um, now, okay, so women, you're put, you're put under authority of these guys who don't have a clue. And I, and I know that. They don't have a clue. What we hope is that, that they get a clue, that they figure out, and not from you, because that's just going to cause more headbutting, but somehow they get the message that, that they have a lot of maturing to do to be able to actually earn the respect that they, that they should have as your spiritual head. And, and it's going to take some time for that to occur. It's not going to happen overnight. And so, guys, this is where you've got to realize that you are the weak link in this deal as a young man. And you need to start right now to do everything you can to, to, uh, to think differently about your responsibilities, to um, you know, think about those hazardous activities that you're doing, uh, and, and really dig into to God's Word and to and becoming a man who your wife can actually submit to without gritting her teeth at it, okay? And that, I know, you know, that happens. Um, and they will, but it's not going to be a real pleasant ride until they can respect you in the position that God's put you in. So, um, and I know this is tough stuff, and, I'm, and, I've, and I've been through it. I've lived all this. And, and so I can, you know, I have a little bit more license because I'm not up here uh, uh, preaching to people that uh, I haven't been where you're at. I have. Uh, I've been that immature guy chasing whitetail in the middle of winter. Good grief. Um, now, another thing. When, when guys get home in the evening, and I was guilty of this too, it's like, like I've been working all day long. I am so tired. All I want to do is rest. I just want to kick my feet up and, and coast. Uh, and, and then when, and when, when I retired, it's like, this is awesome. I'm, I'm retired. This is so good. But the last few years, this dawned on me that, um, <laughs> that I got to retire, but Penny didn't. Your wife is never going to be able to retire. Even if she's working and, and she quits working or whatever to raise the kids, that's not retirement. It's another full-time job. Uh, much more stressful than the one she may have left. But, but your wife is going to put way more time and effort into your marriage than you ever will, guys. That's the reality. She's going to work far longer hours, put in way much more time and energy and investment in your marriage than you do. And that's not right, but that's how it is. And you need to recognize that. You need to appreciate her in a way that, uh, that maybe you take for granted, as I did. A Christian woman has very little downtime. In the evening, after doing household chores, cooking, cleaning, running errands, educating and disciplining children, sometimes when the children are sick and sometimes when she's sick, 
There are still things to do. She's cooking dinner, cleaning up after dinner, bathing children, getting them ready for bed, and maybe after all that is done, tending to your desires for physical companionship. The next day, it starts all over again. She will work for many more hours in your marriage than you ever will. And she signed up for that gladly when she married you. So cherish her. She thinks you are giving, you are worth giving her life to. So give your life to her. And, and even better, help her. Do the dishes sometimes. Empty the trash. Get familiar with dusting and vacuuming. Um, or, um, you know, buy a Roomba, you know? <laughs> if you, it's like, here, honey, uh, give you... Um, but seriously, that you know, anything you can do to save her some time is a good thing to do. Uh, watch the children for her. Let her go out in the evening by herself and go have a cup of coffee. Go on date nights. Just realize that, that, that she is the heavy lifter in so much of your marriage. And, 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 and as, a, as, as someone, who, you know, as Christ is supposed to, it cares for the church... We are supposed to give our lives to our to our spouses. That you know, he d gave everything for us. We are to give everything for our wives because we are a reflection to the world of how Christ loves the church. So, so this is a really serious and deep uh, responsibility that we have to our wives. And and I'm telling you, I blew it so many times. You know, again, it's like I'm so tired, and I didn't think about how tired Penny was. From doing what she did all day, and and I and and you know I'm it's it's sometimes it's um, we get uh, too soon old and too late smart is that what, how the adage goes you know that happens sometimes so I'm I'm uh, you can't use that anymore <laughs> young fellas yeah y'all are gonna have to uh, realize that uh, that there's you know this is this is a, a two way street marriage is a partnership. It's, it's not that you got you, what you do and she got what her... You do everything you can to help her because she is going to be doing more than you do even under the best of circumstances. If you are able to retire, please realize that she can't. There are still meals to fix, a house to clean, errands to run, and needs to meet for parents, adult children, neighbors, etc. So she is never going to be able to retire uh, in that sense. Until she's, you know, in a nursing home or, or really heaven's our retirement program, right? Now, I wish I had heard this sermon when I was in my 20s because it would have made a difference in how I looked at my marriage and, and how I behaved as a, as a partner. Um, but I didn't, I, it, was, it was a real deep need in me to be able to um, uh, not just have me share these things. I wanted some way to give a voice to, uh, to women to be able to share with you their own perspectives. And so I, I, I came up with a plan to be able to anonymous, anonymously solicit input from mature Christian women to be able to share their answers with, with, with me in a way that I didn't know who they were. Um, I don't think I know any of them because the letters when they came in, they, uh, I, I solicited the assistance of someone in your congregation who I respect greatly. 
and uh, and so she knows who who the ladies are, um, maybe because I don't know how many letters she sent out. I got five back, and so I don't really know who who they are. Um, she probably doesn't either because unless she knows them really well. They, their post, the postmarks were in other states that, that weren't in this region, and so um, you know we don't know who they are. But what I do know about them is that they're mature Christian women who uh, are sharing their hearts about some questions I wanted to ask them so I could share their responses with you. Because I think it's helpful for you to hear uh, their perspective as, as they look back on their marriages and what their expectations were and, and how those things played out. So first of all, if, if they are ever watching this video, I want to thank them very, very much for participating in this because I really do believe that your responses will make a difference uh, in, uh, in, in Christian marriages for uh, uh, decades to come. And, and I really appreciate your honesty and integrity in answering these questions, what I believe were sincerely and, and deeply. And so I really do appreciate that. So uh, there was five questions I sent out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each question, and then I'm going to read the responses of the, of the women. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, so my, my first question was this. As a young lady, what romantic thoughts did you have about marriage? First answer was, somehow I believed that marriage would solve any problems you might face. I thought romance would be around every corner, and not a day would go by that I wasn't living in marital bliss. <clears throat> the second response, I wanted to marry someone like my father. I wanted someone who was strong enough to say no to me when it was best for me and in spite of his deep love for me. I wanted someone capable of standing up for me and protecting me. I took care of everyone else. I wanted one person who took care of me. Uh, number three, this, this lady, is uh, she gets right to the heart of the matter <laughs> in all of her answers, as you'll see. Number three said, I wanted a good-looking, godly man who knew how to work hard. God love her. Uh, number four, it is hard to remember for sure, but I think it was that I'd always have someone to adventure with and to be close to. I came from a large family, and I thought of having just one person to give my attention and to give attention to. Sounded so nice. Smile, she wrote. And number five, I imagined a man who would love me unconditionally, who would delight in me, and would walk in honor and integrity. A man who could be bad, but would choose to do right. So, um, interesting responses. Then I had a, a Likert scale of uh, one to five on important to least important of, of, these, of these lists. Uh, financial stability, godly character, uh, physically attractive, good communicator, self-confident, emotional maturity, and from a good family. So those were the ones I came up with. Um, so answer one, the most important items were financial stability, 
godly character, emotional maturity. The least important were physical attractiveness and a good family. And then I asked if there were any other attributes that were important to them. And she said, did not realize how important being a good communicator would be. Yikes. Yeah, that one hit home. Uh, answer number two, most important, godly character, emotional maturity, good communicator. Least important, physical attractiveness, financial stability, good family. Um, other things that were important, loyalty. Loyalty would have been number two after a real and visible relationship with God. Um, lady number three, most important, godly character from a good family, physically attractive. Okay? Uh, least important, self-confidence, self good communicator, and emotional maturity. Uh, <laughs> any others? I wanted a guy who put God first. Uh, number four, most important, good communicator, physically attractive, godly character. Least important, good family, financial stability, emotional maturity. Any others? I wanted to have similar interests so we could do them together. We do have that, and while it was a challenge at times when the children were young, we still love doing things together, hunting, fishing, hiking, etc. And number five, most important, godly character, emotional maturity, good communicator. Least important, financial stability, self-confident from a good family. So godly character made the most important list on everybody. And there wasn't a whole, whole lot of uh, uh, consistency otherwise. Uh, so um, if you're a young man and you're thinking about, you know, what does a wife want? Uh, well, godly character for sure. And, um, and then from there, you know, you better, you better do a good job picking and asking questions because there can be a lot of variety in these things about what women are, are looking for. <sighs> wow. Um, so, now, number, question number three, as you observe young Christian men in general, what are your greatest concerns about their readiness for marriage? And, oh, by the way, uh, I do have this questionnaire and all the answers on a, uh, a thumb drive, and I'll give it to Phil afterwards. So if y'all want to get a copy of it or use it in the youth retreat or whatever, you're free to do that. But I think it's, I think it's something that would be valuable, you know, for, for years to come. Uh, so, as you observe young Christian men in general, what are your greatest concerns about their readiness for marriage? Number one, immaturity in their emotional development and lack of spiritual leadership. Okay, yeah, that was me. Number two, lack of spiritual leadership and consideration of long-term goals and consequences. How about that hazardous activity list, right? Looking for submission in a wife... But they are unable to submit to God and to the church. Number three, they're selfish. Don't put God first over sports. They're not able to manage money or provide well. Okay? Um, again, she's blunt. She just tells it like it is. Number four, purity. And she asked a question. Have their parents done their part to teach their sons about healthy sexuality and how to view a woman in a healthy way? Good question. Number five. I see a lot of good things in the young men around me, but a concern would be in whether they're ready 
for the responsibility and self-sacrifice that raising a family brings. What I've been saying for the last few minutes here, right? This is, there is perhaps too much attention given to entertainment and distractions. See, I mean, I'm not alone. This is, this is not just me. Okay, question number four. Is there anything you can identify that would be important for young men to prepare them for marriage? Yes, said number one. And I'm going to unpack this later. Uh, no pun intended, as you'll see. Deal with the baggage you are carrying before you get married. Unpack that baggage before you add more to the suitcase. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into that one a little bit more shortly. Uh, number two, self-discipline, embracing their masculinity, cultivating respect for godly authority. Number three, and this is where the title for the message came from, that they know how to care for hurting hearts. And I broke it down and, and wept when I, when I read this because whoever this woman is, is obviously, she's, she's struggling. And, and she is not being nurtured in a way that is, is dealing with the deep emotional wounds that she has. And uh, again, I don't know who she is, but I, I would ask that, uh, uh, in fact, I want to just stop right now and pray for her. Um, Father, we, we don't know who this woman is, but we ask you, Lord, to touch her heart, heal her wounds, grant her uh, the touch of the Holy Spirit to, um, to, to break through the pain that she has and give her a heart of forgiveness and compassion uh, toward her husband and others that may have wounded her. And for her husband, Father, we pray that, that, he, that you would give him the ability to see his, his wife's soul in a way that he's never seen it before and that he would, he would seek to uh, heal some of that damage that, that have, has happened over the years and grant him a sensitivity and a love for his wife that that blossoms and grows daily uh, for this woman who uh, is, is so obviously wounded, in Jesus' name. Uh, <clears throat> number four, being secure in their identity with God, not needing compliments to be confident. Number five, being willing to work hard in self-discipline, turning their hearts to hear the voice of the shepherd and being willing to obey that voice. And then the, the last uh, the question I, I had was, as a woman who's been married for years, what do you consider to be the most important components for a healthy marriage? Uh, answer number one was similar core values, communication, 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 and pursuing each other's hearts. Number two, a strong spiritual leader, a wife who pursues God and the heart of her husband, communication. Loyalty, an active physical intimacy, respect, acknowledgement of each other's giftings. Number three, God first, know how to manage money, have mentors to help them learn this. Number four, communicating and being able to share and talk about things without being offended easily. Also, there is no shame in going for help sooner rather than later for any problems. Relationship, children, sex, finances, etc. Working on stuff sooner rather than later 
has been a key for us. And number five, <clears throat> healthy communication, mutual respect, love and honor. Make room for fun, work together, value one another's opinion. Almost all these ladies identified communication as being an important key for successful marriage. And, uh, and, and guys, you're going to hear that. You're gonna, you just don't communicate well. You need to talk more about your feelings. <laughs> and it's true. We do. We don't do that naturally. But that is something that women, they need to hear that. They need to be able to, to hear your heart because that helps them connect with you emotionally and spiritually. It's, it's, it's vital that, that we as guys learn how to communicate better. And believe me, I am still learning. I am, I am not competent in this area yet. I'm more competent than I was 10 years ago, but I'm not, I'm not anywhere close to being where I'd like to be in, in terms of how I communicate with my wife. So, so this is a work in progress. Now, I want to go back to dealing with your baggage. Here is the problem, and this was a problem for me because I, you know, I didn't realize it, but I had significant issues with post-traumatic stress disorder when I was a young man. And I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that was there until I was in my 40s, okay? So how do, you, how do you address a problem that you don't even know you have? And you won't see your own baggage as a young man, and you're and your prospective spouse is very unlikely to see it either. A couple reasons for that. One, you hide it from her because you don't, want for, you don't want her to know how damaged you are or how insecure you are, let's say. Um, but more importantly is that she's got on rose-colored glasses. She's seeing this guy she wants to marry, and she's not looking for things like that. So they stay hidden until you get married, and then they are going to surface. They are going to bubble up, uh, you know, like dross out of uh, uh, melted metal. And, um, and so here, here's what I would suggest, is that let's say you're, you know, 16 to 18 or whatever, uh, and, and you're starting to think about courtship or dating or whatever, and, and you're like, huh, what can I do to help me prepare for to be a good mate for my, for my spouse. And, and, and you're, what I would suggest is that you ask your parents, you ask your siblings, you ask uh, your close friends to identify in you any character defects that you have. Now, maybe they never told you about that, but maybe you talk too much. Maybe you ramble. Maybe you, uh, I, I don't know what it is. But, but the people that know you best can give you the best feedback. Ask them and, and, and do some serious praying and, and develop a game plan for how you're going to address these things. Get a mentor. Uh, and if it's, you know, it, it may, may be your dad, maybe it not. But, but get an older mentor that can help you deal with these things. If it's something like an addiction issue, uh, and, and there's, there's, you know, our the church and everything else is, is just absolutely full of sex addiction. Get in counseling. Get, get those things addressed, please, before you get married. Do as much, uh, as, as she said, 
dealing with the baggage before you bring it into the marriage relationship because that is going to help your marriage start off on the on a right foot and, and be a, a healthy thing for you um, so this is this is this is tough stuff but I, I really think that if we if we take these things more seriously guys that we're going to be we're going to be better partners for our wives and it, we're going to have a, an easier marriage particularly in those in those early years because unlike the world you know uh, if things don't work out, we're not going to cut and run in a couple years and say, oh, well, I'll go find, you know, the love of my life. We are in this for the long haul. This is a, this is till death do us part, and we take that seriously. And so whatever you bring into it, you're going to have to deal with. So make sure that you are addressing these things as much as you can on the front end, not later on. Uh, think about how you're going to support a family. Uh, not just for the immediate future, but for you know the next several decades. You know how how can you transition from being just a wage earner and a and a daily laborer into something that uh, where you know you're getting more of the profits and doing less of the physical work. Make a, a plan together uh, and 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 work on that because those things are, are you know important for you to think about. I know when you're 20, it's like, you don't even think about middle age. That seems so far away. But it's going to happen like that. It really does. And so you've got to plan decades in advance about these things. What happens if you get hurt and can't use your body to make a living? Is this the right career field for you? Are you prone to injury? Is, do you need to find another way to make a living that involves... Uh, you know, using your brain instead of your brawn. Um, you know, those are the things that you want to think about. Even, you know, bad things can even happen to good people. You can get injured. You can lose your ability to make a living. Now, all that being said, I don't want you to panic and lose your zeal for life. Uh, but I do want you to be, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, okay, I, do I want to get married? Yes, you want to get married. That's the normative value for 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 people uh, you know, that was, we were created to be together yes you want to get married but you want to you want to uh, treat it with respect and and concern and love so that it is as healthy and as happy as, as it can possibly be I and I want you to do a better job than I did at more quickly becoming a spiritual leader and emotionally responsible uh, than than I did is you can assume your duties as a husband and father. So, what I'm going to say is God bless you in your journey. And Lord, grant them a wise, patient, and understanding wife. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, brother. One of the things the Holy Spirit led me to do as a young man when he first came into my life as a living person. It's one thing to know about the Holy Spirit, to believe he exists. But when he knocks on your heart's door, like Jesus said in Revelation 3, whoever opens his heart 
I will come in and I will stay with him forever. And we'll eat together, we'll dine together, we'll fellowship together. When that happened to me, the first day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me out of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And those three books was his daily communication with me every day. I read those books hundreds of times in that first year. I didn't count them all, but many, many, many times. And the Holy Spirit spoke it to me and saying, I'm speaking to you, young man. I was 24 years old, and the Holy Spirit was not messing around with me. I was just married for six months, and he wanted to train me. And the one thing that the Holy Spirit still speaks to me very strongly out of these three books is particularly in Titus with one word. One word. And John mentioned it this morning. Can you guess what it was? Love. That's an important one, but that wasn't the word. Dignified. Which is sober-mindedness, meaning mostly about the same. Dignified, if you look it up in your Google, one of the first meanings of being dignified is simply being respectful. Respect yourself and others. And you'll find Paul tells Timothy this over and over, and Titus as well. Be dignified. Even the women, but especially the men. Why? Because if you don't respect yourself, as a child of God, and you don't respect others, you won't be respected. People will never respect a disrespectful person. Have you ever? Have you ever, children, seen someone disrespect someone, yell back at him, speak back and harshly, or speak disrespectfully to someone, and you were like, yeah, I admire that person. No, you didn't, not even once. And the one thing that our Heavenly Father wants from His children, especially those who are called to lead others spiritually, is respect. You'll never have respect unless you're dignified. Titus chapter 2, verse 2, Older men are to be tempered, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men. Thank you, brother. He obeyed this word for us today. Urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine dignified, respectful, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, 
in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And then he continues. So I just want to bless you, Brother John, for the practical way in which you share the Word of God with us. Because that's life. And God, our Heavenly Father, wants His children to do life well. To do it well, pleasing to Him and above the reproach of the devil. Because the devil will stand to accuse God's children every day. He accuses us in our own minds and through others. Why? He wants to break down our dignity. And if you believe the lies of the devil, that's the first thing you'll lose, is your self-respect of who God and the Lord Jesus called you to be and redeemed you to be a holy people for himself. And once you start losing that, dominoes fall fast. They fall fast. And quickly, it's like you're on a, on a slippery slope, like on a water slide. He takes you into sin. Because the one thing that delivers us and gives us the strength against our flesh and its appetite is dignity. Respect for our God, for the Lord Jesus, and who he called me to be, and respect for others, and who he called them to be. So I just say amen. Thank you for sharing that. And man, I, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit knows our need. John doesn't know us that well personally, individually. He doesn't live in our homes. He doesn't even live here in this community. Don't you think the Holy Spirit had something to say to us this morning? Each one of us? Amen, he did. Whether we're a, a pregnant mama, right, Leah? Ready to give birth to a baby or whether we're Judd and Megan, Making wedding plans. Or there were old dofers like me and still think we're young. God has a word for every one of us. Older men, older men, older women, young men, young women. Because God loves his people. And he wants his people to live respectful lives. All right. Uh, I think the new meal's probably almost ready, and uh, we're definitely ready for some fellowship. Yes? This is a, a lot to fellowship around, and it's good that we do. Let's rise our feet and thank the Lord for this time together this morning. Father, here we are. You've given us a word of encouragement, correction, exhortation, comfort. You've been true to your ministry to us through the Holy Spirit. Now I pray for grace, Lord. Give each one of us that divine, heavenly influence, that help from above through the power of your Holy Spirit to write this truth into our lives. Lord, we come to you again as a white sheet of paper. Our hearts need your finger to write your living word into our life, not with ink, but with your love, your steadfast love. I pray that you would cause every one of us in here to experience the truth of this word 
Even when we fail, you use our failures, as John said, to change us, to transform our life, to teach us lessons. So I pray, encourage every one of us and instruct us into your way of righteousness and wisdom so that we can live lives above the reproach of the evil one, even if he accuses us our own life will be above that reproach through your steadfast love and grace in our lives. Bless your people, I pray, with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.